Greetings and welcome to Stamper Cinema. Once again, I am your host. My name is Andrew. As always, thank you very much for downloading and listening to this podcast. We are continuing along with something that we've been doing all year. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get into it, I want to welcome back to the show an old friend, somebody we haven't seen in a hot minute. And that would be Mr. John Rowe. How's it going, John? Pretty good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? It, it's it. Now, granted, you know, I I see you all the time, but uh, to the listeners, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. What? Uh, how have you been keeping busy? Oh, you know, just working hard, keep my head down. Nothing special. Uh, probably have gone on a trip or two since I saw you last or talked to y'all. Went out to Virginia, visit some friends. But uh, just excited about the new year coming up, and you know, not doing too much else around here than. Slice some unitary blocks. I don't know. just work. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I would mention is here in Atlanta, we had some good fortune. You know, we, uh, the, the sports gods smiled upon us and the Atlanta Braves won a World Series for the first time in 26, 26 years. That's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're all pretty happy down here. That's good. I mean, you should, you said four years ago you ought to be winning the title. So, right on I'm schedule. Sh- I'm sure you weren't surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'm still kind of surprised. I mean, you you can you can imagine like based on a trajectory. Well, this this puts us at that time, but at no time do you really think, oh, this is our year, especially the way things went for Atlanta. But that's a conversation certainly for a different time. We've got bigger fish to fry tonight, <laughs> man. And uh, I, I think before we introduce it, do you mind if I kind of like, kind of um, paint you a little picture and paint sure. the audience a little picture on sure. what we're going to be doing? Sure. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm interested. I'm, steal- I'm stealing this one from a different podcast, a little podcast called Unspooled. I think it's something that I might do because I love it. It really does help. Like, you know, like I said, set the scene. So here we go. The year is 2015. Hamilton hits Broadway. The pop sensation Taylor Swift and her hit album, 1989, goes on the ultimate epic world tour, complete with uh, squad goals for days, complete with uh, Justin Timberlake, Selena Gomez, John Legend, Mick Jagger, heck, even the the smelly cat uh, lady herself, uh, Lisa Kudrow, makes an appearance on that tour. Mad Men makes its finale after eight years. Jon Snow dies. Mm. Or does he? Mm. Mm. And the big films in the box office are Inside Out, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Jurassic World, and the film that we're about to talk about today, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. John, are you ready to get into this and and start talking a little Star Wars? Yes, I am now. Especially when I hear that competition. Mm-hmm. You no, know, no, this is this is definitely the best movie out of those movies. I think so. I mean, well, I mean, granted, I really did love Inside Out. I thought Jurassic World oh. was good, but Inside Out was uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. Was this Bing Bong? What's his name? <laughs> Bing Bong. Oh no, my heart still hasn't recovered from yeah. Bing Bong. Nah, that's a good one. Take her to the moon for me. Yeah. Well, hey, this show has moons in it, you know. It's it Star Wars, <laughs> Force Awakens. 
Yeah, no, um, that that's nice. It kind of brings you back to the year and what was going on. Taylor Swift was huge back then. She's done a great job with her career. I mean, not too bad. No, pretty successful that one. She's like the American Adele. Yeah, yeah. But so, The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just gonna say, like Taylor Swift being, you know, such a great star. Ray, you know, comes to take on the role of a Jedi. She's such a great star. Yes. And that's really who the movie features around is our hero. Absolutely. Now coming into the scene, nobody really knew anything about Daisy Ridley. I mean, she was a virtual like unknown at the time of this movie. And that's actually something that this movie I think did really well is obviously with the Star Wars franchise, you're going to have a lot of familiar faces like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, all these familiar characters, but it's a new, it's a new adventure. So I think this movie did a good job of bringing in some new faces. And obviously Daisy uh, Ridley was certainly chief among them. John Boyega, who plays uh, FN 2187, AKA Finn was also pretty virtually unknown. Oscar Isaac was relatively known. I mean, he had done a lot of like independent type stuff, but he was a face I think that a lot of people had seen. And that's uh, obviously Poe Dameron. But yeah, this movie, it's interesting because this would have been the first Star Wars film that featured the original cast since 1983. So you figure that's the 80s, 90s, the O's team. So basically roughly four decades had transpired since Harrison Ford or Luke Skywalker, or Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher had been in these. Now, obviously we had the prequels, which, you know, um, feature the same universe, but all these characters that we, that were returned to, this is the first time we've seen them in four, uh, 40 decades or 40 decades, 40 years or roughly so lots, a lot's happened within uh, within this time frame. So, where to begin? Where do you think we should begin with this? I mean, let's talk about. I don't know, man. I mean, we can start yeah. with the crawl, but just the positives of the movie is just fine by me. Or, you know, what what did you like most about the casting or? Yeah, yeah. I really don't know if you want to go through the whole movie or. Yeah, before we do that, I, I think maybe the, the plot best place to start is this is the first Star Wars film where George Lucas wasn't helming it, you know, or like behind it. Right. Because this movie came out in 2015. But three years earlier, Lucasfilm, George Lucas basically sold all the rights of Lucasfilm over to Disney. So it was no longer his material, like it was no longer his property. And then I guess what it was maybe 2013, maybe I guess between 2012 and 2013, around the time that Disney took over Lucasfilm, it was announced that they would be doing an episode seven. Well, I think when we felt heard JJ Abrams was going to be doing it, we saw what he did with Star Trek. You kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, I bet he'll do a good job. Kind of. Just a little hope that's going to be good. Yeah, and that, that's interesting because yeah, he at that up, you know, obviously J.J. Abrams had a very well established career, but he was doing everything with Star Trek, and yeah, him coming over, I think there was a lot of hope. So, yeah, Disney purchases Lucasfilms in 2012 for the small fee of 4.05 billion dollars. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, you know, based on the fact that this movie 
just this one movie in the box office grossed over two billion worldwide. Uh, that seems like chump change. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's 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 a pretty good deal. Um, so what else? Now we, we mentioned JJ Abrams, but a lot of a lot of directors were kind of like brought, or not really brought, a lot of directors were in consideration to take over this role. Like you had David Fincher was uh, one of the directors uh, that was considered. Uh, Benicio, Benicio um, uh, Guillermo del Toro, John Favreau, who obviously would then later on go on to do Mandalorian, yeah. Brad Bird. A lot of a lot of people were in consideration, but then finally they they landed on J.J. Abrams. the The screenplay, which ultimately was written by J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan was originally at least the first draft or the early writings was done by this uh, by this guy michael arndt and michael arndt had done was it little miss sunshine i want to say it was a little miss sunshine but he had worked on the screenplay for a good like eight months and he's like i need another like year and a half for this you know like a lot he needed a lot of time for it and then kathleen kennedy who kind of like runs lucas or rather runs um disney She's like, mm, no, you're you're gone. And in his drafts, Luke Skywalker had a much much larger larger role. And I think that was one of the issues that he was running into is because every time Luke Skywalker came into the into the film, it's like, who cares about these new characters? I want to know what's going on with Luke. Mm. And that was that was kind of like a big big issue. And then they came across the idea that they were going to make Luke kind of to use this phrase I've been using the past couple episodes, kind of like a MacGuffin, you know, we're going to, and one day I'll kind of explain the MacGuffin uh, lore. If you're not familiar with that phrase, or if you've heard that phrase, but you don't know the, the backstory behind it is actually goes back to uh, Alfred Hitchcock, but they, they used, Luke Skywalker as kind of this plot device that, really wouldn't be that big of a deal like he was a plot device he he was a plot device but his big pick his big reveal is so relevant to everything else that we're seeing in the grand the grand scheme of it you know so but anyway they 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 shit canned uh, michael arndt and that's like a red herring right yeah exactly more or less that's what uh, a MacGuffin is Mm -hmm. so for example like a MacGuffin, like I, i may have mentioned on a different episode but if you've ever seen the movie psycho the whole movie focuses on this girl that steals a bunch of money from her boss and she gets out of town and she stays at this hotel and come to find out the, the guy that runs the motel, the Bates motel ends up killing her. Everybody goes to try to figure out what happened to this girl. Come to find out that the, the guy that runs the, the motel is very, very troubled. And uh, he, has uh, some mental health issues, but you know, he kills a couple of people and then he, you know, anyway, if you, I'm I'm kind of giving you like a a reader's digest version of psycho, but at the (laughs) end, at the very end of the movie, you know, we, 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 we see this car and then the money's in the, like the trunk of the car, but the whole thing, the whole big thing in the whole first half of the movie is what is she going to do with this money and the money, 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 where's this money going to go? How is she going to get rid of this money? You know, and is she getting caught with this money? She dies and the money is virtually forgotten. So the whole idea of this plot device being the money 
in the end is no big deal at all to the main function of the film. So again, kind of like a red herring, but the term MacGuffin was something that, that Alfred Hitchcock had uh, kind of coined and several of his films did that. And this movie kind of does that same element with Luke Skywalker, which I think is really, really kind of fascinating. Albeit sometimes frustrating because I admittedly, the first time I saw this movie, I'm like, I want to see Luke Skywalker. And I think a lot of people, if you were familiar with, with this franchise, I think many of us, especially when they're like from the opening crawl, which we're about to talk about, the first lines of the opening crawl are Luke Skywalker, right? So it's definitely, definitely something that they kind of teased the audience with to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it summarize had Luke been in more scenes, he, you know, the movie would have been about Luke Skywalker and they needed to develop these other characters and that, mm-hmm. and that maybe less experienced writer was having a hard time not writing scenes without Luke Skywalker in them. So they needed a guy to take the the story in a different direction and utilize different tricks of the trade or, you know, how to still incorporate Luke and how to still have him present without him being in the scene. You know, it's Han Solo showing up and talk about it or Ray's expression whenever she's, she realizes like Luke Skywalker, you know, it's like this girl, little girl from Jakku's even heard of Luke Skywalker before. Right. And then Finn, I think, follows with it. Just, you know, it's like the fighter or maybe that's the Han yeah. thing, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you now. Yeah. I think that's one thing this movie did a good job of is, just kind of building in the the mythology or the of the show or just how these people are still living in a future on the original three and stuff like that. So they've heard of Han Solo mm-hmm. before, but Finn, who's a stormtrooper, thinks of Han Solo as like, you know, the ex-soldier. And she's like, no, it's the smuggler because she comes from the junkyard. Right. And just, so just kind of adding in a little bit of dialogue you're kind of adding to. I think there's other parts of Luke that kind of bring it back and stuff. That's an interesting way that uh, it sounded like that Kathleen Kennedy had to make a hard decision. She was very much like yeah. Chelsea Football Club and just like, you're out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to bring in J.J. Yeah. Abrams now that we've got a chance. Exactly. Yeah. You, when you've got a uh, Jose Mourinho just kind of waiting around, like, I guess we'll, we'll hire that guy. But shall we, shall we do what we've been doing before, which is yeah. read the crawl? Sounds fun to me. Let's go with the crawl. All right. Here we go. The crawl. The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice in the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, or Jakku, Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Dun, dun, dun. It's pretty strong. It lays out pretty well. The villain's end goal is to find Luke. They stress that pretty hard. Uh, There's a Republic, but Leia's leading freedom fighters against the first order. So it sounds like there's an established government somewhere. And she's like a, uh, almost like a CIA agent still just going around and helping these people who the live in the system that the first order's in. Yeah. This is one of the things that kind of confused me a little bit because the, one of the issues that 
seemingly the first order have is that the Republic are kind of funding the resistance, right? That the, mm-hmm. that they're kind of, you know, helping out. And, but at the end of Return of the Jedi, basically, I mean, you know, the, the rebels are no longer rebels. I mean, they're, they've, they've restored peace and galaxy. They're, 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 they're welcomed back, so to speak, with the Republic, right? So what happened between there? You know, like you would think that the first order are the, the outsiders and this, this crawl and the way that it's kind of like framed is that and maybe, I, maybe I didn't read that right. Or maybe I'm just kind of confused in some capacity, but it seems like that the, the resistance no, 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 it does say with the support of the Republic, General Leo going to lead to brave resistance. So it's just interesting that that um, the First Order has risen so-called from these ashes, but there's no secret. I mean, they're they're huge. Like this, this First Order is massive. So it's just interesting that it, it, it had gotten to this point where they hadn't like squashed them already. They just allowed them to kind of continue to rise and rise and rise because it doesn't really seem they're very secretive. Yeah. After the last time the empire took control that you would think they would see this group of people called the first order come up that look exactly like stormtroopers and go, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. I mean, shit, they're even called stormtroopers, you know, like, so it's, it's, it's intriguing, but that crawl kind of, paints the the introduction but for those that haven't seen it i have like a little a little rundown of the plot that i can kind of like go on and talk if you're if you're interested just to kind of like do kind of like the yeah an overview like two minute summary uh, yeah two minute overview of the film go for it, man uh, I'm, I'm gonna kind of like paraphrase this but basically the plot focuses on ray who's this girl from like this desert planet jaku and she runs into FN2187, a.k.a. Finn, who is a stormtrooper deserter who winds up on Jakku because he befriends Poe Dameron, who is that daring pilot that is referenced in the, in the opening crawl. And Finn wants to get away from the First Order. He runs into Poe Dameron. They escape. For whatever reasons, they go back to Jakku because they want to get in touch with a droid, but they get hit. They get separated. Finn finds his way to Rey. They befriend each other, and they're pursued by the First Order. And then, wouldn't you know it, they they run into a uh, Millennium Falcon that is just chilling out on Jakku, and they escape Jakku. And then within minutes, they are captured by... <laughs> by Han Solo and Chewbacca. And then we find out a little bit, a little bit about what's going on, that Luke is doing his own thing, that Jedi, that the Jedi are real. Everybody's heard of Han Solo. Everybody's heard about all this, but it's still kind of like fallen into a little bit form of mythology. And Han Solo has that moment where everything is real. You know, the Jedi where he himself was once upon a time a skeptic, but Anyway, it still comes back to these plans of trying to look, you know, uh, that they've got information that can lead to Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewie, Ray, and Finn go to this planet. 
and run into Maz, who's this 900 year old, very, very spry alien who gives uh, Ray slash Finn Luke Skywalker's lightsaber that was lopped off in the Empire Strikes Back. And all the while, they're still being pursued by the First Order, who their head honcho is a guy by the name of Supreme Leader Snoke, who may or may not be a giant. We don't really know in this film. Mm. And his head pupil is a guy by the name of Kylo Ren, who, as it come, we learn, is in fact the son of Han Solo and Princess Leia. Kylo Ren has basically like broke bad and wants to be like his great, you know, or like his grandfather, Darth Vader. And he's seduced by the dark side of the force. Kylo Ren captures Ray, gets him back onto the ship. And then basically everything else kind of plays like the original star Wars in which they have to go rescue this girl. They are going to go take on this death star. I mean, star killer base and you're going to have these freedom fighters that are going to try to find a weakness. The good guys are going to infiltrate this planet to blow it up from the inside. Blow it up from the inside. Yeah. You're going to have Obi-Wan Kenobi face Darth Vader. Well, in this case, you're going to have uh, Kylo Ren face his old man, um, Harrison Ford, Han Solo, mm. and his protege is going to witness it. Ray is going to get mad. Chewie is going to get really, really mad slash sad. There's going to be a shootout. And, but yet they did their job. And now here come the good guys to blow up the plant from the inside. There's a fight. Finn gets his ass handed to him by Kylo Ren. Ray then in a matter of minutes goes from somebody that might be force sensitive to seemingly being a Jedi Knight mm-hmm. in a matter of minutes. And she beats the ever-loving shit out of Kylo Ren. And Han Solo's dead. Uh, Tree picks him up. They take off. Mm -hmm. Ray goes off to find Luke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then right before that, R2-D2, R2-D2, who's been, like, in a coma, like, for whatever reason, uh, wakes up mysteriously and then puts puts together the, the missing puzzle piece and they're able to find out where Luke Skywalker is, and he's just chilling out over on Skellig Michael off the coast of Ireland with the with the puffins, and Ray gives uh, Luke Skywalker his lightsaber, and as he's about to say something, roll credits, mm. end of the movie. How was that? Was that a good like two or three minute summary of the film? Yeah, that's a pretty quick overview. I think there's lots that can be explained in it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a good overview of the film. Based on that, what what were your thoughts? What like what were your initial like gut reaction the first time you saw this film? Uh, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. Um, I thought they did a good job of having enough throwbacks to the original film, but then there that also be like in the shots of the Millennium Falcon, or but then they'd also have Easter eggs like with the table in the Millennium Falcon or like Finn having the uh, little ball that floats around. But I also think the characters, I guess last time I saw it, felt like they are playing more of a high stakes. Like it's it's a bit lighter than some films where Finn is. Um, 
I guess with Ray being a more stronger character, Finn's actually a little bit of a weaker, and I think the balance between them works well, and the comedy between them works well. I thought the movie, I thought the movie was an upgrade for Star Wars films. It might not have been best I'd ever seen, but I enjoyed the film. And uh, actually, remember, I ended up going to take my dad to see it at the Bob Bullock's museum, which wasn't the best. You know, when you get a you know a child killing their dad in the movie, uh, at that scene, I'm kind of like, oh, oh, spoiler, spoiler, Ben Kenobi kills Harris, Obi Wan, Ken- oh, sorry, Ben Solo kills his father Han Solo in the movie it's one of those just mm-hmm. like huh forgot about that part even though I just saw this movie a week ago <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought it was cool you talked about how that was a very much like a representation of Vader versus Obi-Wan itself mm-hmm. and uh, so once again that's another throwback to the original film and what the character is going through it really makes me kind of curious with uh, Adam Driver's character of like what his end goals are because he seemed uh, like whenever he heard about, like he gets kind of mad, I guess, whenever he's going through the whole loss of the droid or the BB unit. Because as we learned from the crawl, they're obsessed with trying to find Luke. That's their end goal more than blowing up the Republic. They want to find Luke first. And uh, but once he hears about a girl, he seems even more interested. And uh, so it's just interesting seeing those two characters being force sensitive and kind of their dual paths. And um, but when he he kills Han Solo. It makes me wonder, like, well, I guess, he, I don't know. I think he was a conflicted individual. Yeah, I think he was extremely conflicted. Yeah. Definitely has some serious anger issues and some serious, like, grandfather issues, too. Yeah. Well, I thought where you get the grandfather helmet of the Vader, in the next scene, I think Ray gets his lightsaber. So I think that kind of adds to the mythology of the film and the greater... What I think is cool storytelling is how they're not just telling this story, but they're adding to what, you know, past films or next films might have involved into them. I thought that's where this movie kind of succeeded. So hopefully just adding a little bit more to that. No, I'm sorry. What theater did you say you saw with your father? Oh, Bob Bullock's. It's the IMAX. It's probably, it's probably my favorite one to go. That's just probably the biggest one in Austin. It's nice to go to the Alamo, but um, I just... That's that's the best theater probably in Austin to watch a movie. Now, had you seen any other Star Wars films with your father in the theater? Yeah, I saw quite a bit. I saw the re-releases with the graphics and stuff. That was always one of our things. But uh, but no, so this movie brings back some pretty good movies with him and stuff. Uh, so, but I enjoy it. I think they did a good job. I thought, once again, the new characters who came in had pretty good dialogue to go along with it. Um thought it was funny enough and i guess now we've been removed it's been like what seven eight years i feel like the jokes still hold up enough like it wasn't just cliche for the time well it's not harrison force we're with him you're just cause it's like i guess we've been well, i was just thinking or saying about how harrison ford whenever i watch this i think i've seen him so many times now it's he can't quite live up to the expectations i had of what you know and how cool he was in the originals and perhaps Luke wouldn't have been able to live up to those same expectations, but it seems like Harrison Ford's mm-hmm. character, I guess they, instead of Luke's, you know, being able to be a part of it, they thought Harrison Ford could be and stuff. I'm also curious about Ben, Kylo Ren is Ben Solo, right? But is that, is that, is Ben short for Obi-Wan? Cause Obi-Wan was old Ben. Cause then he'd be Obi-Wan Solo. Like he'd be like one Solo. 
when you really think about it, Leia didn't have much interaction with Ben Kenobi at all, mm. you know, and Harrison Ford or rather um, Han Solo wasn't very close with uh, with him. So it, it is interesting that that he's obviously named after him. Mm. I mean, that's at least the the hints are that he's that he's named after Ben Kenobi, but his two parents really didn't have much of a relationship. I mean, you'd think that if it was Luke Skywalker's kid, it would make all the sense in the world for him to be named Ben. Yeah. I, I totally agree. It would be better if his name was Lando. <laughs> yes, exactly. It would make, it would make way more sense if his name was Lando. Yeah. Uh, Lando Solo is pretty or, cool. <laughs> or uh, even whatever Woody Harrelson's uh, character's name was. And, you know, just, but of course, you know, that that movie came out after this one but yeah 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 one thing i get i guess now on the the scene where because like taking my dad to see a scene where the guy kills i realize now han solo couldn't let his son die had he just not yelled out for ben like by him yelling out for ben like they were about to blow the place up and so it's not just like he sacrificed himself, you know, like he, he was trying to save his son. So that scene just had a little bit more gravitas this time around. Got to understand that a little better. And I also just want to point out in that scene, we finally get to see what a thermal detonator does. I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been wondering how, how dangerous those thermal detonators have been for a long time. And finally got to see some good explosions from it. So what what was your favorite scene from was that your favorite scene what was your favorite scene from the film man i'm pretty uh, i can get into really hokey scenes quite a bit so like whenever they're um, at mars you know castle or whatever you want to call it the the saloon scene but like when mm-hmm. the x-wings come in and poe dameric just like destroys everybody and you get finn just like a woo that's one hell of a pilot you know <laughs> So it's just like that kind of stuff. I like, I can still watch it and be like, yeah, that's a cool scene. Cause it, it seemed like that's another where JJ Abrams is like, I don't want to show these people them flying through the galaxy. Cause that's already been shown. Like, let me try to do this cool thing with the graphic. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think that, but then they're at that part, they take Ben and, you know, Chewie and Han like captive. And it's like, Oh, well, why is this stormtrooper going to throw down his gun and just fight him with that? But they're like, they're, it's like they're the captives, like they were looking for him. So it makes sense. If anybody wanted to know why the stormtrooper didn't just shoot him, they were trying to capture Finn. Yeah, I did like the the whole idea of the the shock troopers. I thought that was really cool to to see, like stormtroopers that had kind of like a lightsaber, like a diet lightsaber thing that they were fighting with. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, but I think that's really where this film succeeds in that. We they give us a probably more stormtroopers in the empire than they, we do get the republic or the resistance, mm-hmm. uh, with Hux or uh, the other super stormtrooper girl. I can't remember what her name is, Captain Phasma. Oh, yeah, and uh, so it just seems like in yeah, a Chris, lot, a lot of Game of Thrones, Chris. a lot of Game of Thrones in this movie, a lot of Game of Thrones in yeah. this movie. Um, I'll get into that here shortly when we talk about some of the other a- actors that were in this film, but maybe that, maybe that had something to do with the fact that you know, this was all shot, you know, whatever wasn't filmed in like Abu Dhabi, everything else is filmed like in the UK, 
and it was mm-hmm. like in the height of game of thrones time so you probably would have had a lot you know a lot of people that were doing it so obviously and brianna tarth was in it a couple other um there was a girl i think her name's harriet walter do you know what i'm talking about not by first name yeah she's in this she's in just one scene with uh, chewbacca but i seemed like i was like i recognize she's an older lady but it's mm. just the part where chewbacca's there she's like oh you're so brave Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. just this cute little scene, and I'm like, oh, I wonder who that is. Yeah. But it seemed like anybody who would have been working in the UK would sign on if they could. Yeah, I mean, shit, Daniel Craig uh, has a like a cameo as one of the stormtroopers in the movie, which was great. You don't even, you, don't, you never see any his face. Any idea? Yeah, any idea? I got no idea what, which one he was. Oh, he was the one that... Uh, she when Ray tells him to like drop his like gun oh. and walk and leave. That that was yeah. Daniel Craig. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, who else? Simon 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 Pegg was uh, the the guy that Ray barters with back on uh, Jakku. Like like the whole like portions guy. Mm-hmm. That was Simon oh. Pegg. Uh, who else? The the chick that plays Nymeria Sand from Game of Thrones. She plays an X wing pilot. Um, Jojen Reed yep. is in the movie. Like I said, you, you got there. I think there was another another person or two, like the like the uh, like the musician or singer, whatever, in um, Game of Thrones. And one of the episodes, he's in it. There's like five. Or, there's like good five or so people that was in Game of Thrones that were all that was also again it makes total sense they filmed in the uk it was done in 2015 game of thrones was huge then everybody was working over there but like you the first time i saw this movie i thoroughly enjoyed it and admittedly every time i saw any even episode one two and three the first time i saw these films the initial like adrenaline factor like kicks in it's like i love this i love this i i, I love the phantom menace for like i said i saw it twice in one day in two different countries you know um but this this one i think was a little bit different i i'm like oh it, it, it felt very refreshing because we've been doing this this series all year long and we've done everything chronologically so we've talked about Rogue One. We've talked about Solo, but those films hadn't come out when this film came out. So this would have been the first one I had seen since the prequels. And this one just felt this one felt more like Star Wars, where the prequels, I knew they were Star Wars because it, it had Star Wars and had the crawl and it had familiar character names and it kind of looked like Star Wars, but this one really did look and feel like Star Wars. So it my initial reaction was like, yes, yes, this is what I've been wanting to, you know, what I've, what I've been wanting forever. And as I've gone back to rewatch it, I still think it's, I still think it's a good movie. I still thoroughly enjoy it. I think, I think it's a good film. My, my critique is it's, it's just the original star Wars 2.0, you know? And I think that's a, I think it's obvious to make that call out because there's so many parallels with that film and this one. So it was just like where as much as the prequel franchise bothers me just from like the, the dialogue and the look, 
it, it, I find a lot of it kind of over the top. I think, I, I think there are more risks taken story-wise in that and those films versus this, which they could have done anything. They could have gone anywhere and they chose to go back to the original Star Wars and basically tell that film all over again, just with new characters. So that's my critique with it. So, like, obviously, it, it's a good film and I enjoy it because I yeah. love the original and this is the same damn movie. You know, it's the same movie and it, it worked the first it's time. Bigger. It's, it's just, just bigger. Yeah. yeah instead, of, instead of killing one planet, we've got the Death Star that can now kill several. You know, like Death Star was just a moon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we got a planet. A whole planet. Yeah. I found myself thinking, with J.J. Abrams movies, like, I'm, I'm just happy to see all these planets destroyed. Like in the 90s, there were movies like Independence Day, which is like, oh, I'm tired of seeing the White House blown up. Like, just mm-hmm. like, I want to I want to go bigger. I want to start seeing some planets blow up. Yes. You know, I want to see Vulcan blow up. And he and he killed, and he, and he blew up Vulcan. But it makes me feel like if they were under a time crunch and they fired a different writer, that they would have, you know, that next person wasn't coming in with a brand new script. And Disney pulls from their old, stories all the time yeah it's kind of it's true it's true seems pretty easy uh i think they did well with what they had and i think the actors did a good job with what they had there are more swings and hits than swings and misses i would say with this i think i think it was good and the movie was pushed back it was supposed to originally have like a summer release but instead of coming out like may or june or july where they really wanted to it ended up coming out in december mm. now that may have worked out in its favor because the movie, although I think it came out like the, between like the 14th and 18th of December. So it was only out for two, maybe three weeks in 2015. But in those two or three weeks, the movie grossed over $600 million domestically, domestically to finish like number two overall in the box office that year. Only uh, Jurassic World grossed more that year and that movie came out earlier in the year like early like in the like the spring or summer but star wars was out for for like two maybe three weeks and it almost like if it would have been out one more week it would have like outdone what jurassic world did the entire year that it was out i mean this movie was huge you know it it grossed to date it is still the number one film domestically with you know nine hundred and some odd million dollars in the box office worldwide, it's behind obviously, um, whichever Avengers film, but it was only the third film to cross two billion dollars worldwide. Two billion dollars worldwide in the box office. I mean, it was huge, and there was definitely a draw. People people wanted to see it. Also, feels like I've. After a while, like it was the summer blockbuster growing up, but then it was like every Harry Potter movie was coming around at Christmas. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a lot of big movies started, Lord picking, of the Rings. That, started picking that Christmas day a little bit more often. In a similar way, because of some of the failures of episode one, two, and three, I don't think any Star Wars fan was ready to go hang their hat on <laughs> like the next one. Like, this one's going to be it. I don't know. I think it, a lot probably. A lot of people go, well, I can't suck as much as the one, two, and three. <laughs> like a lot of people probably went to theaters thinking that. And then when they came out, they they were like, yeah, that was a Star Wars film, man. The Millennium Falcon was flying around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after a while, if you watch it, you're like, there's a lot of similar elements. <laughs> that and there, there are a ton 
again, I, I, I want to stress that I do enjoy this movie, but there are a ton of holes in this film, almost to the point where it gets distracting, you know, and, and maybe, maybe it doesn't distract you, but I can't help but like, like things that just happen, we're just supposed to accept and like, just kind of move on. Mm -hmm. Like how, how the hell does Han lose the Millennium Falcon? Like, how does he lose it? And furthermore, why was nobody else using it? They, they refer to it like on Jakku, that it's just like a piece of junk. But when they go in there, it works just fine. There are no issues at all. Maybe something with a hyperdrive, but there are no problems with the Millennium Falcon, right? Well, it was stolen by multiple people. It was stolen by multiple yeah. people. But like, <laughs> I think that with Finn and how he has a real problem with killing people, only to then try to escape and kill and massacre a ton of his brothers in arms. <laughs> right. And, yeah, it's a little tough, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would say with his character of being afraid and wanting to get away, had he worked on Starkiller Base, he would understand the potential danger the world's in. Right. So it does kind of add to his character and be like, I just want to get out of here. Again, just just a hole, right? But there's there so many of them, right? And we mentioned Captain Phasma a moment ago, right? This is somebody that's supposed to be like the ultimate stormtrooper, like Captain, like badass. I mean, this is like a chrome stormtrooper. And we get the sense that this is going to be like the ultimate, like badass stormtrooper. We never get any evidence of that fact. In fact, Captain Phasma seems to be the most incompetent stormtrooper um, <laughs> out there. And the Knights of Ren, right? This is something that is hinted in this movie that these guys are badasses. Not only just in this movie, and I, I really, I really want to keep it to this movie, but we're given no evidence, really, that the Knights of Ren are anything substantial, right? Um, so what I took from what I think J.J. Abrams was showing, especially you have to look at Kylo Ren's saber and how it looks like an old broadsword with a mm -hmm. tall saber and a hilt, that they would represent the Knights Templar. And therefore, that's this is just me going off my fan of us. Like, okay, so you got to put all that together. It's like, J.J. Abrams gave it to us, but you got to put it together yourself. That's my thought. Is they were like a Knights Templar group for... Snoke, who would go out and and help the First Order conquer early planets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's my guess. But no, we don't know who they are. And and in another way, I wouldn't mind if Disney did a Kylo Ren, uh, like the Knights, Knights of Ren. Ren. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, Max Van Seidel, Max Van Seidel, Mike Max Van Max Von Seidel, Seidel. I apologize. Basically, the guy that we see at the very very beginning. Uh, like an old friend yes. and yeah. he's supposed to be somebody of significance and he's well, he confuses it. Cause he's like, to me, she is like royalty. So is he from Alderaan? Yeah. Like who is you he? Know? Like who is he? We, we, we introduce this important character and we don't find out anything about him. And then he's never really discussed later on in the film. Like no. he apparently was somebody important. And he knows something about Luke and he's never like his death is never once like spoken about in the entire film. And it just seems problematic because he was the one that knew the information about Luke. He was the one 
and we get nothing, you know? So again, just another little hole. And there are many of them. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get like on too much of a soapbox. Like how the hell does Ray speak Wookie? You know, like, um, like she can speak it. Um, not only that, but it took Luke Skywalker three movies to become basically able to move shit, you know, uh, with his mind, like before sensitive, she does it in like a day. It's kind of like that equivalent to use game of Thrones again. Like it's like game of Thrones, like the original trilogy was like game of Thrones, like seasons one through five. And this movie just like went all like seven, like season seven, like she was just able to do everything within one movie without any type of training. Um, I was feeling that the closer she got to Ben Solo, like I think in a way, like whenever he did the force, try to force mind thing after that, she was able to, I guess, fool Daniel Craig's character. Mm-hmm. Like in a way, I think it was, it was set up to be like, the, like, he's afraid of her because of the potential, but she is a greater prodigy than even Luke is. That, that, that's great. And another thing, it's almost as if Kylo Ren knew who she was or knew of her mm-hmm. because he's like, the, like what girl like that. Yeah. But and later he asked, right? You know, he asked the almost like, show me, show me another vision. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get one, but you know who gets the vision on the next scene? It's Ray. Yeah. So maybe Ray's the one who got the vision from, I don't know, Vader. I don't know. Right. Right. Uh, the, their characters all are in parallel with each other, or, you know, for what that's a good way to put it. But, which makes for a really cool lightsaber scene. It does. It does. One last thing that I want to mention, and it was something that kind of bothered me because I, I knew, or at least I suspected it was a plot device. And, and then I really, what I want to do is I really want to keep it to this movie and not necessarily talk about the follow-up films, mm-hmm. but Ray has no last name. You know, like her, her last name is intentionally withheld, like intentionally withheld. Um, Cause she doesn't know where her parents are. Right. That's one of the things that we're, that we're given. One of those things that are hinted to us. Hell, even Finn doesn't have a name. You know, he, he was obviously, he was taken or something. Right. And those are, those were all intentional because those are two plot points that are mentioned in this film. And there's no hint. Well, actually, this movie hints that maybe those are going to be something that we're going to pay off. But upon a reading, they didn't they didn't even know. They didn't know like J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy. They didn't know what was like they they didn't have the story mapped out quite the way that like George Lucas had everything mapped out within the prequels. Again, he, he, he didn't know that Darth Vader was going to be Luke Skywalker's father. I mean, I, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll die on that Hill that in 1977, he didn't know that Darth Vader was going to be Luke Skywalker's father. Maybe he had that somewhere in his notes or something. Maybe he did, but I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic, but what we do know with, without any question is JJ Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy, everybody that were working on this, they they didn't know. They had no idea what they were going to do with with Ray. They didn't know what they were going to do with Finn. One of the the quotes I had read is that they were going to talk to Ryan Johnson and Colin Tevereau. Is that his last name? Tevereau. He was gonna he was gonna direct the third film, 
but that that didn't end up panning out. J.J. Abrams came back to do the third film, but that was something that they were all going to work on and kind of like smooth out and let the filmmakers kind of come up, which is very problematic within just within this film because of the fact that this movie is obviously very much like the original and it paints some there there's some uh, there's some very very strong foreshadowing but in many ways they don't they don't give you the the necessary clues that'll be beneficial to go forward in follow-up films so again it just goes back to like these holes that yeah, like what you're saying is because they didn't they didn't want to pigeon sell pigeonhole themselves in they didn't give clues so when you rewatch those clues aren't there that actually would be really good scenes like they just leave them blank because they'll write in the story later. I I did enjoy her vision moment though. I, I did I did love that. I love the editing where you did get that shot of like the Knights of Ren. But from an audio and sound mixing, I do love that moment when she grabs the lightsaber and you hear Obi-Wan's, you know, say Ray. You know, um, mm-hmm. what does he say? Like Ray, these are your first steps, or I, I forget what it was, but what they did is they, they audio mixed Alec Guinness's voice where in one of the films he says afraid. And what they, what they did is they got rid of the, uh, and the <laughs> duh. So it just came out Ray, Ray. <laughs> which, which is great. You know, so you've got that moment. Where pretty he, hardcore. So you're able to get that. And then they use you McGregor's voice to fill in a little bit more of like kind of like the whispered Obi-Wan Kenobi voice, which I think is great. I think, I think it was there. Like I said, there, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of hints that, okay, we're going to have some payoff. We're going to have some payoff, but you know, that that's um, an issue for the, the follow-up films, but that, that vision was cool. And the, the lightsaber fight was badass. I mean, they're great. There are some really, really great scenes seeing Han Solo pick up Chewie's crossbow was oh, fucking fun. awesome. Yeah. That's fun. He's so, he's so good with his blaster too. You know, it's a good fun negotiating scene, you know? Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun stuff with Han, you know? Uh, then you get a great, a great scene with him and Carrie Fisher. So yeah, I, I think as just fans, we should always be happy. We get moments like that, you know? That's uh, at least some sort of conclusion. Yeah. It was, it, you know, and we obviously had no idea what would happen a couple of years later, but to have that tender moment between those two actors on screen to just have them share a moment together yeah. was awesome. And the chemistry was still very much there. And it, it's great to see that 40 years later or approximately, you know, 35 years or whatever it is, years later, they... They, they still got it, which, which is great. And yeah, it, it was fun. And it wasn't just nostalgia. I mean, you had two really, really accomplished actors that still were able to bring some emotional weight as parents that, you know, they, they saved the galaxy, but they still lost their son, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, it, it's, 
you see the toll, you see the toll and it's not conveyed, you know, because we, we didn't, we didn't see any of this within the past 30 some odd years. Right. So all we have is, are there two minutes they've got of screen time together that we're as audience members piecing all that together. But if you put back within the context of the last moment that we saw them in return of the Jedi to everything is happy where they're, you know, embracing and to now, you know, two people that are kind of like shells of themselves, you know, and. Yeah. But this, like, I guess it's okay for us to speculate what we think we've seen or this movie gets us. Like, they obviously, I guess, got together, had a child, and then they must have raised him in some sense because she felt that there's too much Vader in him. So that's why she wanted him to train with Luke. Mm-hmm. But still, it seems like he would have gone, you know. If you think about a child being sent off to go learn the ways of the force, that that can't be easy for a child to go through. So that adds to Ben Kenobi's character. Um, but all that being said, it's still all probably better than what the upbringing Ray had, right? Uh, or Finn had, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We never really get Poe Dameron's backstory, which apparently Poe Dameron originally was supposed to die. I don't know if it was a re- like in the like, but like his character was supposed to. I don't know if it would have been like in the fight toward the end, or if it would have been like in the beginning. But Poe Dameron's character originally had allegedly when he, they wrote him, he was going to he was going to die in this film. I'm glad he didn't. Yes, you know? <laughs> I'm uh, glad he didn't. Glad he didn't. In a way, though, like we're a few years later when we get Rogue One and we get like Diego Luna's character, all of a sudden, like, I don't even care about Poe Dameron anymore. Yeah. Like, Ca- like Cassian. I was like, that's, that's a bad dude right there. Yeah. I can't wait to learn more about Cassian. Yeah. That's for another time. That's for another time. That's for yeah. another time. I don't ever remember a great score in this one. Like it seemed like there's some good original music, but nothing stands out. Even in, yeah. It's uh, it's funny. I, we're gonna in their trivia. I'm gonna bring up the score, but this this film was nominated for best original score for mm. John Williams. Um, what can I say? There were a couple good good new tracks, but I did like a lot of the the nods to the to the originals. This film did have moments like you you had Leia's theme. You had the hint of the Imperial March. You had when Han and Chewie hop back onto the Millennium Falcon, you have that moment when we see the Millennium Falcon for the first time and Ray and Finn mm-hmm. are making their getaway. They've got their moment. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you, you do have these hints to the previous films, but the first order uh, song I think is pretty good. Um, when Kylo Ren's uh, plane is kind of like coming onto Jakku in the beginning, and they're kind of like looking up at that. There, there's some good stuff. I mean, it's you don't have the out and out juggernaut that is the Empire Strikes Back, you know, theme or the original Star Wars. But and of course, you don't have like Duel of Fates. You, you don't have that that yeah. moment. But it's still, it's still, it's still, uh, it's still a soundtrack that packs a wallop because it's fucking John Williams, you know, and the dude knows how to compose. And 
I've got a question for you before we go any further, Mr. John. Okay. What are you drinking? Oh, man. That's a good question. Uh, the Austin Beer Works Montecor uh, Oktoberfest. Okay. How so, is it? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty solid. It's a thicker beer. I'm trying to find the alcohol content on it, but I don't know. Maybe they put it in small writing. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but no, it's good beer. I figure Oktoberfest is going. I just uh, went down to West Nest down in New Braunfels. They, they're free mm. all week. Nice. So that's a good time if you're ever in Texas. It's a German festival in New Braunfels. Uh, so I don't know. It seemed like a good one to drink and stuff. What about you, man? You got any Star Wars themes? No, no Star Wars theme tonight. I'm just doing, I'm doing a um, kind of like a vodka ginger beer with lime. It's kind of like a deconstructed Moscow mule. There's no mint in it. Oh, man. But I just wanted, I just wanted something that I can drink over the course of an hour or so. And that looks much more refreshing than my drink. It feels really, really refreshing. It looks really good. Yeah. And this, this, I gotta tell you this, doing this episode has felt very refreshing just to get back into it. You know, it's. I just, I don't want to walk away from your drink just yet. If anybody wants a visual, think about the end scene in Titanic when they're freezing in the water. It's basically this drink with just ice cubes and a nice cool, uh, I don't even want to call it smoking. You can see those green mints at the bottom. It's a beautiful glass. But yeah, just think about Leonardo DiCaprio freezing in Titanic, and that's what that drink looks like. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but with less carnage. Yes, yeah. Um, this movie. Back to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, I don't have a ton that I need to say. I mean, it, it, it's a good ride. Um, I, I think when talking about this movie... I think we've already said it, you know, I mean, it, it's a lot like the original, you know, the original Star Wars. So you, you got similar elements. You do have new characters. I, I, I think we would be doing a disservice if we didn't at least mention that our protagonist in now the Star Wars universe is a female. I think I think that is important to discuss, you know, now. You know, we, we have a new generation of Star Wars films and the leading character is female. And that's great. You know, I mean, I think that's awesome that my daughter in a couple of years, she's, although she's seen these films and I don't think she's really been able to put anything together, but in a couple of years, she's going to watch this movie and realize that girls can be badasses too and be tougher than the, the bully on the playground. And I think that's awesome. I also think it's great that not just having a female, the, just the cast diversity is great. I think this, this is awesome. I mean, one thing we, we could mention is there wasn't much diversity in the original star Wars film. Right. But the diver diversity of this cast, I think is great by having John Boyega and Oscar Isaac. And of course, Daisy Ridley, who's a virtual unknown, haven't even mentioned that Andy Serkis plays Supreme Snoke. leader Snoke. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I would put this in, Andy Serkis's top five best CG characters, but I think he's still great. But we have talked about, I don't think any of these actors had got any direction where their characters were going to go. Right. Mm -hmm. like they just had the lines in the scene to go yeah. off of. So to take Snoke 
his one concern is Luke Skywalker, right? And everybody, he, he needs to, you know, needs to do whatever they need to. And so that kind of allows you to realize, like the General Hux, um, who's played by Gleason, mm-hmm. um, like that guy. I think it's kind of cool that they develop this character. Like the guy's definitely the tech guy, whereas Ben Kenobi or Ren is is the enforcer but stoke definitely has like two guys there and they're all vying for his attention none of them really want to speak up and i think it kind of that's what kind of adds to the captain felucia or whatever and you know who gleason's father is right i do know who his father is samish yeah Yeah, it always, it always, always goes back to Braveheart. Which always comes back to Braveheart. All right. So I think we are in agreement that we've basically covered everything that we probably need to for this one. Yeah, it's a good movie. Not one of the best. Not one of the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, at in the next generation, it could go down as their favorites because of you know yeah. some of the, the new things that are coming out. Yeah. So it's uh, time will tell. And time will tell how well you know this film because it is time for John Rowe to step onto the hot seat. Oh man! All right, let's do it. I feel I feel like Luke standing over the great Sarlacc. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one: Which actor or actress fractured their leg while filming when a hydraulic door fell on them? The hydraulic door in discussion was one on Millennium Falcon. Hydraulic uh, door fell on one of the actors during filming and broke their leg. Which actor had their leg broken? I'm going to go with John Boyega. Incorrect. Oh, man. Harrison Ford, Han Solo. Dang it. I just feel like he'd be too old to be able to recover that quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there was a delay. There was a delay because He was the easy answer. Like, he's a bit older. He'd be more likely to. But I... I, To add insult to injury, who then suffered a fractured backbone while trying to help lift the hydraulic door? I got a feeling it's chewy. (laughs) It is, is not Chewy. It was J.J. Um, Abrams. Oh. J.J. Abrams broke his back and tried to lift up the hydraulic door. That was on Harrison Ford's leg? Mm-hmm. That must have been a scary day on set. Probably wasn't ideal. There was a, there was I definitely a delay that, after that. I think that was the Raktar scene? <laughs> I don't know. might have been. might have been. I loved when they went into hyperdrive and it was still on there. And, like, mm-hmm. it all goes, but it's, like, its eye is still on there. And it's, like, whoop. Uh, that's, that. that's good stuff. So John Williams was nominated for the score for this film. What for the Oscars? What number nomination was this for him? Was this his tenth Oscar nomination? Was it his twentieth nomination? Was You're it his thirtieth mo- nomination? Was it his fiftieth nomination? Are those actual multiple choice answers? I'm, or are, I'm, you just, yeah. are you giving me examples of a of to guess a, a random? I'm, I'm giving you multiple choice: 10, 20, 30, 50. Those are those are the four choices I have, and it's mm-hmm. one of the four. How many times has John Williams been nominated? I'll go fifty. I'll go five zero five zero five zero. His fiftieth yeah. nomination. Jeez. So Finn's technical name is FN two one eight seven. Where else? Have we seen 
2187 within the Star Wars franchise? Uh, Lando's girlfriend? No. Um, no. That was Leia Cellblock, 2187. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. And lastly, this one's this one's a deep cut, so don't be, you know, like whatever. I went, I went, I went, I went pretty hard on these ones. So this was the third film to cross the two billion dollar box office receipts worldwide. This was uh-huh. the third film to do it. Can you name one of the other two films to do it? You gave me a hint earlier. Okay. So Avengers Endgame? Endgame was after this. Oh, so this so is before this? Before this. I imagine the other Avengers. Um, what did, did Avatar do it? Yes, Avatar was the second one. The first film you've already cited without Titanic. even... There it is, yep. So yep. Titanic and Avatar are the other two to do it. Did the both of the... Avengers movie hit the billion mark as well. I don't know if you put that in your list. Two billion? No, not 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 Ultron and not the original, but Endgame and maybe Infinity Wars. I don't know. Uh, Probably Infinity Wars. Everybody probably want to know how that one ended as well. But no, no, no. I'm sorry. Infinity Wars did it. Imagine Endgame did it too. Infinity Wars was the the like the the one shit. I don't know. I get it backwards. Um, oh, tune into bring tune it back in, to yeah. Tune into this podcast again next week because I'll be doing Avengers: Infinity Wars. Nice. I'll, I will. But Titanic, Avatar, yeah, and uh, this one. Mm-hmm. So I'm all in theaters. They all got some of my money. <laughs> uh, in some ways, that makes me feel good. Like I helped my team win. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways. Uh, Congratulations, uh, Disney. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, JJ, money, money well spent. Money. Well, oh, oh. I'm, I think we should close because obviously this was originally George Lucas's baby. Do you want to know what George Lucas thought of of this film? Yeah, I, I would. I'm hopeful. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Please let me know. (laughs) Well, so he was he was interviewed by Charlie Rose on, I believe, CBS. I think Charlie Rose was on CBS. And so it was like an hour long interview. And basically it was determined that George Lucas wasn't going to have any input whatsoever because they all agreed that'd be problematic, you know, because the story wasn't going to go necessarily the way that he had envisioned it. And it's no longer his property anyway. It doesn't belong to him anymore. And him being around on set probably would have been a distraction in some capacity. But while he disagreed with some of the, the ways uh, that maybe they, they were going to do this and that with some of the characters, he thought that the end product was great. He was pleased with it. And he thought the fans were going to going to love it. It sounds like they could have used him. <laughs> Whenever they couldn't write the story, when they when they had to fire their first writer and get a second writer in, mm-hmm. maybe on the day it's like he would have been a distraction. Harrison Ford broke his leg because of something. <laughs> it's like <laughs> how much of a distraction could he be? I think another a quote that he had, I'm paraphrasing it, is 
being involved in the new Star Wars film would be like going to your ex's wedding. You know, like that's it, a good answer. He's yeah. been divorced. Yeah, but it makes sense if he, you know, he's just got to let it go. You mm-hmm. know, and just like Usher once said, "Gotta let it burn." Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you can't actually participate. Then why, you know, I can understand, especially with something that he probably has worked so hard and cares so much about. If you actually can't participate, it's probably best to just not get involved and just kind of you know, take it and be hopeful and happy. But just it's, it's only going to burn you, at your, you know, the closer you get. Yeah. I mean, you got to, you know, you're you're a peacock. You got to let him fly. You got to let him fly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and I guess we'll see. We'll see how they fly. Well, John, as always, thank you for going on this adventure. We've got two more films. We've got two more films that we're going to be doing before the year is out. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. John, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please continue to do so. Uh, tell your friends, like, listen, subscribe, leave a review. If you listen to this on Apple podcasts, if you are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, hit me up, you know, where to find me. I'm under Stamper cinema. Y'all have a great evening and we will see you next week with another episode. Bye everybody.